Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. In May 1982, Formula One and the world of racing lost an icon. Canada's Gilles Villeneuve lost his life in a crash at the Belgian Grand Prix. His death was mourned by his family, his friends and his fans all around the world who still revere him 40 years later. I'm Tom Clarkson and in this special episode of F1 Beyond the Grid, you'll hear memories of Gilles Villeneuve from the people who knew him at the peak of his racing career. Jonathan Giacobazzi, his family sponsored Gilles, but their relationship was far deeper. He was my idol and uh, since then, uh, uh, till nowadays, he's, he's still my only idol. René Arnoux, whose battle with Gilles at Dijon in 1979 remains one of the finest pieces of wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing in F1 history. It was the best race in my career because it was between Gilles and me and between my best friend and me. Plus two Formula One world champions, Mario Andretti and Jody Schechter, who was Gilles' friend and Ferrari teammate. He wanted to be the daredevil of Formula One. They talk about Gilles the man, Gilles the racer, Gilles the legend, and how his presence is still felt today. Gilles Villeneuve is next to the nowadays Ferrari drivers. So today we have Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz and Gilles Villeneuve. So much of Gilles Villeneuve's life was about speed, both on and off the racetrack. When he had to be somewhere, he had a habit of deliberately leaving late so he'd have to drive quickly to get there on time. He was born in 1950 in Berthierville, a small town an hour outside Montreal in Quebec. As a child, he'd ride snowmobiles around the neighborhood for fun with his brother Jacques. His love of speed grew and snowmobile racing came next. Victories and trophies built his reputation as a talented driver with great skill, control and bravery. The prize money helped fund a move into cars. And it was in 1976, while driving in the Formula Atlantic series, that Villeneuve caught the attention of an F1 star. Gilles raced and beat James Hunt, who'd go on to win the F1 world title that year. Hunt helped convince McLaren to run Villeneuve at the British Grand Prix in 1977. Despite Gilles running as high as fourth on his F1 debut, McLaren decided against making him a permanent driver. And at the same time, Enzo Ferrari was looking for a driver to replace the outgoing Nicky Lauda. And Gilles suited him perfectly. Enzo saw him as a talented young racer, but not someone who would become more famous than Ferrari itself. Sponsoring Villeneuve at Ferrari was the Giacobazzi family, who were wine producers. Enzo himself was a big fan of their Lambrusco. That's how Jonathan Giacobazzi first met Gilles. He told me he grew up traveling the racetracks of Europe with his father, and Gilles was in the next door caravan. Gilles was special 
uh, because uh, it was uh, really one of a kind. I was five uh, when I met him uh, first and he was spending a lot of time in uh, my house with my family. And uh, he was really genuine. He was uh, like uh, one of us. He was uh, talking about everything. He was uh, in love with uh, mechanics, mechanical parts and everything. He was talking about helicopters. He was talking about uh, boats, his uh, experiments. He was uh, uh, doing in Canada in his uh, officina, little uh, workshop. And uh, he was also sharing memories with my father about uh, changing engines in these cars uh, and uh, skidoos. Uh, he was looking for speed everywhere. Tell me about your family's relationship with you. Uh, we had the opportunity, thanks to Enzo Ferrari, to catch, uh, to uh, know Gilles uh, from the beginning, because uh, after uh, Niki Lauda left Ferrari, uh, Gilles uh, was uh, asked by Enzo Ferrari to go to Maranello, and the same day my father got a call from Enzo, uh, because we were selling our uh, wines in uh, in the States already, he asked him uh, to join him uh, to have a meeting with a new Ferrari driver. So my father never heard about anything about Gilles Villeneuve. When he, he stepped into the room, he, he met this guy and Enzo Ferrari said, uh, this is Gilles Villeneuve. He's going to be the new driver uh, replacing uh, Niki Lauda. And because you are selling your wines in the uh, United States, I give you the opportunity to sell now in Canada. And uh, my father, of course, couldn't, re couldn't refuse the, this uh, offer from uh, Enzo Ferrari. I mean, it was an offer that you cannot really refuse. So immediately agreed uh, with Gilles Villeneuve and they said, um, OK, let's do it. And uh, they decided uh, that day to have the, the famous Jacobathy on the chest of the overalls. And how did the relationship between your family and him develop over the, the subsequent years? It became really a friendship because uh, I remember very well that um, uh, we were uh, traveling around Europe uh, in our school breaks, uh, uh, me and my brothers with my family, and uh, we were having, uh, we were driving, going around with a caravan, and all, always we were parking the caravan uh, uh, next to Gilles once in the paddock because we were following Formula One. So we went to Dijon, we went to Zandvoort, we went to Okenheim, Silverstone, of course Monza and uh, Imola. Uh, it was really nice period, so we became really friends. In the end, uh, they were always uh, um, moments to share. My mom were, uh, was washing the overalls with uh, our uh, uh, underpants, you know, in, uh, in uh, me and my brother. So she was also uh, sewing the patches on the overalls uh, and changing the position sometimes to times. And I remember once that uh, she took, uh, because my father asked her, uh, you know, uh, my father wasn't happy about the dimension of the, the Jacobathy patch on the, on the chest of the overalls. So one night uh, they, they decided to, to change it with a bigger one. <laughs> and nobody had really saw the difference the next day. And my father was uh, always thinking to, to, to put a bigger one every time. So it was really, really a nice time we spent together. What was life like on the road with Villeneuve? I mean, you, I'm just imagining your inner paddock somewhere. Was it barbecues in the evening together or, or was he quite introverted when he was racing? 
No, to tell you the truth, uh, they were uh, we weren't eating together. I mean, uh, he was eating with uh, the mechanics sometimes, or he was eating with his family, and then he was coming into uh, our caravan, and uh, then we had uh, discussions, discussions about uh, everything. I remember that uh, before I go before going to bed, uh, I was listening to what they were saying, and because Gilles became my idol since uh, day one, uh, I had this opportunity to know him well. Uh, and uh, I was catching my sleep, uh, listening him, uh, you know, telling my father uh, he knew he he knew about his uh, new performance with the new toys that he was uh, he was buying the helicopter and the boat. And I always dreamt that I wanted to go there, but uh, uh, you know, uh, with him. But uh, I never had the opportunity. And uh, for what I heard uh, later on in my life, uh, probably this is uh, something that uh, I have to consider this. Uh, like uh, positive things, considering how he was driving uh, around, uh, you know, with his cars and pi- piloting the helicopters. Gilles certainly looked for adrenaline at every opportunity. Mario Andretti, 1978 F1 world champion, told me about the time he and Villeneuve went out on the water together. Nothing that we've ever done was conventional. We're in Austria at Klagenfurt on a lake, and uh, we're doing the parasail. And uh, so I said, um, Jill, I said, uh, you want to do a parasail, you know, tandem? So we did a tandem, and everything that we did was awkward because he tried to spin this thing around in such a way that it was, you know, it was quite dangerous. But, you know, that was his style, and he was all, you know, okay, you know, that, that's what we do. And, and then when we, when we dropped off, we're supposed to drop off you know, at one at a time, now we drop on top of each other, trying to kill each other by the time we hit the water. You know, all of that. So, I mean, uh, what a guy. What a guy. Mario, when I say the name Gilles Villeneuve, what do you think? I smile, quite honestly. And the reason for that is since the first minute that I met him, when he actually had the opportunity to drive a McLaren, I think, at Watkins Glen, uh, it was just, he was so nonchalant and typical of his character. And, you know, in the sense of say, isn't he even a bit nervous? And that was Jill. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. On track, confidence was not a problem for Gilles. In his first full season, 1978, he showed himself to be an F1 star in the making. He scored his first podium, and then in front of his home fans in Montreal, a breakthrough victory in the final race of the year. Villeneuve wins, and 100,000 cheering Canadians go wild with delight at the first ever Grand Prix win by a Canadian in, of all places, Canada. In 1979, Villeneuve's second season with Ferrari, he struck up a close friendship with one of his rivals, René Arnoux, the Frenchman who just joined Renault. When I see him the first time, 
I think it was in uh, 79 when I started in Formula One and uh, he was driving for Ferrari, I was driving for Renault. And uh, suddenly he said, uh, Gilles said to me, uh, René, uh, you go with me to eat uh, fo Italian food in Ferrari. And the next day, uh, this was Friday in Ferrari, and the next day was uh, Gilles go with me in, to eat the uh, French food with Renault. And uh, we start suddenly like that. And uh, it, it was, uh, uh, we continue in the same, uh, always in the same condition in each weekend to, to eat all, always together on Friday and Saturday. And sometime on Sunday too before the race, but before the race, you know, you stay uh, in your motorhome uh, to for for the condition of the race. But uh, these two days was really fantastic because for me it was very very nice guys, nice men, and uh, uh, I appreciate all all min each minute all together. Did you always talk about racing or would you talk about other things as well? Uh, it, it, it's the same because, you know, when you, when you wait on the Grand Prix, it's normal. At the end, you speak always about racing. and uh, But I see Gilles in Paris, in, uh, uh, in Italy and in each part of the world. Uh, and uh, and uh, I spend really a good time each time when we stay all together. And uh, for me, it was a, a, a fantastic guy because he is he, not in the middle. He, you, you love Gilles or you, you don't love Gilles. You, it, you have not half. And it's, for me, it was a very, very good person because he was like that. René saw his friend Gilles win two of the opening four races of 79. Villeneuve's championship challenge was alive, and his main rival that season was his Ferrari teammate, Jody Schechter. I knew him as a very honest, very honourable, nice guy. And people didn't see that side, side of him. We were, we were great mates. I don't remember ever having a bad word between us. He's a nice guy. He's an honest guy. He's an honorable guy rather than he's a great racing driver and that. Because that's what I saw and, and let's say, um, respected for, for as, as a person rather than he was a quick racing driver or not. You were teammates with Gilles for two years. So let's start talking about the racing driver. What were his greatest strengths behind the wheel? I think he was very fast. Um, he was serious, although it didn't look like from the outside. He worked hard at um, becoming the best driver he could, um, but he had some weaknesses. He wanted to be the daredevil of Formula One. So he wanted to get the fastest lap he wanted to everybody to think he was what I went from Monaco up to um, Marinella with him, and I said, "Listen, you behave yourself when I'm going going with you." And and we get fine until we get a kilometer outside of Marinello, and then he's doing wheel spin and what's the names and stuff like it. He loved that side of it. Monza, when we were going for the championship, 
he was, uh, we were practicing, I think we did two days. He was putting on qualifying tires after qualifying tires and in the headlines, Jill record everything. I put on the hardest tires and just did the chassis and did the stuff like this and I qualified him. I had a better car probably than him in, in the race. But that's what gave me some comfort. So he was a showman? Yes, very much so. In the racing car and outside as well? He loved that idea that he was the daredevil. And that's what he, that's what he portrayed. And I, I think he was quicker than me in, in race form, but he made mistakes. So what, did he keep that little margin? No. I think he neglected the car more than I did. Um, and that it paid off in different areas. Let's talk about Gilles' relationship with the team. Um, was he closer to the Scuderia than you? Enzo Ferrari loved him and respected me. And respected him as well. But, but really, uh, they, uh, the old man liked Gilles. He spoke Italian, I didn't. But also he liked the flamboyant daredevil put it all on the line or whatever why do you think he was so revered so idolized by the tifosi i think his, his attitude was pushing out all the time trying to do the fastest lap rather than win the race are you being flippant when you say that or do you think he there were occasions where he would put fastest lap ahead of winning the race that's exactly what i'm saying he would put fastest lap or do a overtake that was spectacular than winning the race, and certainly than winning the championship. So often in F1 today, you'll hear race engineers telling drivers to reduce their pace to prevent mechanical failures or to hold position and not risk an overtake to score just a few world championship points. Those things were not in Villeneuve's playbook. It was said that he didn't know how to drive slowly. Mario Andretti says that was what made him so special. Gio was quick, and that's why Mr. Ferrari loved him so much, because his heart was right there, right there in front of the car, flat out, 110%. And he could have destroyed every race car that he ever drove for Mr. Ferrari. He would have loved him just the same. There's no way he could fault him for being so aggressive, so exciting. I, I, I mean, it's just one of a kind. You really are smiling when you tell these stories about him. Yes, because it's true. I mean, it's, it's exactly the way I feel. Yeah. His aggressive driving might have won Villeneuve fans, but it sometimes saw him give up precious world championship points. At the 1979 Dutch Grand Prix, while leading the race but pushing flat out, Gilles spun, damaging his tyres. A tyre then blew, but rather than drive slowly back to the pits, change tyres and rejoin the race to try and score some points, Gilles continued to push flat out. The shredded tyre destroyed the rear of the car, and what started as a puncture ended up causing his retirement. Jody Schechter was world champion that year. Gilles was second, just four points behind. But Villeneuve's 1979 season is also remembered for his part in one of F1's all-time great battles. At the French Grand Prix, Gilles and René Arnoux banged wheels fighting over second and third places. Gilles it was uh, in, a, in, a life, in his life, private, on a track, uh, when he was driving, 
he, he drives at the maximum, he, he drives his life at the maximum, 100% each laps. I said always about these battles, uh, it, it was possible, is my opinion, eh, between uh, Gilles and, and me. Why? First things, I know that Gilles don't make a mis bad mistake for me, and he knows exactly the same. I don't make a, want to make a mistake for him uh, because at this, at this speed and uh, at this time, five laps before the end of the race in Dijon, maybe it was really dangerous. But I know that Gilles, it, it's, it, it's serious and he don't want to make a mistake about me and, and the same for, for him, about him. And uh, at this time we start, he have a problem with, uh, like I said before, with the tire, with the brake, and I have a full uh, problem, pressure problem of the, of the fuel. We arrived at this time, five laps before the end, to have uh, um, exactly to have the same time for each laps. And uh, I try to, to, to finish second, I finish third, but uh, he tried to finish second and he finished second with the condition of, the, of this car. But during this uh, war on the track in Dijon, it's very honest. It's no, 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 uh, uh, no, not a bad things, not uh, etc. And after, when we finish on a, on a flag to finish the Finnish flag, uh, we have the podium and everything said, Oh, these two guys now it's it's very it's a war on, on also in on the podium but uh, then he take my hand and we, we have a big smile when we finish the race on the podium it was really exciting after the race uh, somebody said uh, we go to to see on a, on a big uh, a TV in a press conference and uh, I go to see the, these five laps be, uh, before the hand. And uh, I am really more afraid when I see the race on the TV that was when I was uh, in, in sitting in my car. When the, the, you have a finish of the flag and uh, Forgeri was uh, behind me and he, he said with the hand in the sky, uh, these two guys are completely crazy because this is not for the first place. It was the second and third place. And uh, it was a very, really uh, a big smile about this uh, reflection. Uh, for me, it's, uh, it was one of the best race in my career. Uh, why? Uh, because it was between Gilles and me and between my best friend and me. And he said it was one of his best memories in Grand Prix racing as well. Yeah, you, you are. Uh, this race was in 79. And I tell you, uh, really, each week, each week, I speak about this race. I think Gilles said uh, the same of uh, my reflection because uh, each time I see, the, I see Gilles, it was a pleasure to speak about him. And I, I think it was the same uh, for him. Was he the fastest driver in Formula One at the time? 
at this time, you have a lot of uh, strong driver. You have uh, Piquet, you have Lafitte, you have uh, uh, Mansell. Gilles was one of the best driver at this time. Uh, I, I think now in Italy, you have an anniversary of 40 years of when Gilles was dead. But you think uh, when I listen in Italy about uh, Gilles, you think that he's, he's not dead, he's always present uh, because uh, the people appreciated a lot the, the driving of, of Gilles. Driving of Gilles was exciting. He, he, he don't drive in a straight line. He's always uh, he's always in a, at the maximum. He uses the car at the maximum. He's, he's always on a oversteer. It, it, it's a it's a driving exciting driving. And uh, the people in Italy in each part of the world appreciate this this type of driving. And uh, I remember one time I was in. A, in Paul Ricard, I don't I don't rain because it was raining, and Ferrari said you you test the the, the um, special tires for the, for the rain. Uh, I, I I take a, a motorbike and I go to Sigil to drive in a, in Paul Ricard on this in this uh, condition. On the track you have a double left at the at, in the first gear, um, quick. And uh, I think uh, I was there and uh, to, to see Gilles, he was completely in uh, oversteer and uh, uh, he drive, he, he drive with uh, uh, one hand and the, with the other hand, he said, hello, René, <laughs> hello. <laughs> it's, a, it's a completely a crazy man, but very nice. Fast forward to 1982 and Ferrari's home race at Imola. With 10 laps to go, Villeneuve led the race with his Ferrari teammate Didier Peroni second. As ex-Ferrari man Jody Schechter explains, back then the team had a rule to stop their drivers racing. Ferrari had a regulation or let's say orders, if you're one and two or five and six, you don't fight unless somebody else is going to you know, overtake both of you. Peroni disregarded the orders of Ferrari. Peroni continued to challenge Villeneuve in the final few laps, and Jonathan Giacobazzi was there with his family that day. I have uh, really vivid memories. Uh, uh, San Marino, for me, 82, it's uh, still um, something that I really think uh, often about. Um, for us, it began on the Thursday because uh, Gilles was invited from my, fam for my, from my family to a press uh, lunch that we had at uh, some Domenico restaurants. And uh, because he just arrived with a helicopter with uh, Pironi, he asked uh, if Pironi uh, could join uh, the lunch. And of course, uh, we were happy about that. And Pironi took uh, a friend with him that was a magician. And the magician at the end of the lunch uh, have been asked by by my father to to tell uh, to do some jokes and to tell uh, you know to predict the winner of the race and he said uh, in a way or another Didier is going to win the race on Sunday and that uh, was just uh, you know something that we heard uh, it was just something uh, to hear to to listen to but then during the weekend uh, everything 
didn't go well for uh, the beginning for Pironi because he had an accident on Friday, he destroyed the car. And Gil himself uh, uh, spoke to the journalists, and you know, this has been told me by Franco Gozzi, that he was asking the journalists not to go too, too strong uh, on Pironi because he needed time to adopt to, to, to the car, because also he had another accident during the winter test. So in the end, the qualifying uh, where uh, uh, we got uh, Renault in first row and uh, Gilles Villeneuve in third place, uh, lapping around in the same second of Prost and, uh, and Arnoux, and two seconds behind, on fourth place on the grid, there was Pironi, so it was really slow. So nobody could really predict that Sunday was going to happen what uh, unfortunately happened. So um, I also have the opportunity to... Because I'm from Modena, I've always been around in Ferrari and knew many people around uh, Enzo Ferrari. I, in I interview all of them, you know, during the year. So I spoke to, to Maini, to Nosetto, to Gozzi, to Benzi, Forghieri. And they always told me the same story. There was a deal not uh, to race and to hold the position. So in the end, Gilles was ahead, and every time he was slowing down, Didier was catching up, and he was overtaking him. At the beginning, Villeneuve was thinking that it was for, done for the fans. This is lap 60, the last lap. We, we are around the Tamburello, and see via Pironi now. Pironi, he's going through. Pironi's got, got to come down the inside. He's got him. Oh, he's going wide. Oh, fantastic stuff. They've changed places to two laps running in Pironi now. All he has to do now is keep it pointing the right way. And uh, no mistakes, because there really isn't a passing place. And Nesfield can have a go up, up here. There aren't really any more passing places on the lap. So it's just as if Pironi's done it. The last of the late breakers, Pironi has shown himself to be with that masterly manoeuvre on the last lap in this San Marino Grand Prix. They're through the Aqua Minerale bends for the last time. The crowd is really cheering them home. Ferrari looks as though he's going to win. Ferrari looks as though he's going to be second. Look at the flags waving. It's a long, long time since Ferrari had the double, first and second. And it looks as though Gilles Villeneuve, as they come down underneath the bridge, down to the Rivazza, for the last time, is going to have to give best to his teammate Didier Pironi. But uh, Villeneuve could still do it. He's going to try and go through on the inside. These are the closing stages. They're into the Traguardo now. And no, I don't think Villeneuve can possibly do it. Didier Pironi wins. Magnificent race. Terrific entertainment. Villeneuve in second place and Pironi here the winner. He didn't uh, stay at the, at, the, at the rules, I mean, at the, at the agreement. And uh, the last lap, uh, he took the lead and he won the race. How angry was Gilles after the race? Gilles was particularly hungry. Uh, I couldn't believe his eyes because, uh, again, we were having our caravan next to Ferrari one. And uh, after the race, uh, I was there with my family, with my father, and uh, he came into our caravan to sit and to hide. And my father said, Gilles, where are you supposed to be on the podium? And he said, I don't want to go. And my father said to him, well, if you don't want to go for yourself, do it for the Tifosi. So he went to the podium, he came back, he smashed the trophy in, uh, in the face of my father, and he said, uh, I brought this back for you because mine has been stolen. And then he left, uh, and uh, personally I didn't see him again. He was really, really hungry, he was uh, really surprised. He came to me at that time and said, 
this has happened and Ferrari didn't back him. He was heartbroken because of that. Gilles' friend and former Ferrari teammate, Jody Schechter. Gilles came to me and then he took me up in his helicopter to Ferrari. He wanted me to come with him because he was so broken because Ferrari didn't back him after Peroni didn't follow the rules. That helicopter trip to Ferrari's base at Maranello was to try and repair Gilles' relationship with the Scuderia, a bond that looked as if it had broken. As for Gilles and Didier Peroni themselves, that relationship was over. René Arnoux remembers. I know very well Gilles and I know very well also Pironi. Uh, Gilles said, I never speak with Pironi, now it's a war between uh, Didier and me. And uh, I understand Gilles because I know very well the guys. It's finished. You don't have a confidence with uh, Pironi. And it's it's what's cancelled every possibility to speak with uh, Didier. That's how Gilles Villeneuve felt when he left Imola, as if his teammate and his team had let him down. Before the next race in Belgium, he spoke to his sponsor, Jonathan Jacobazzi's father. Gilles rang him um, after uh, a couple of days and he said, look, I'm going to come before Zolder for the shakedown in Fiorano. We need to talk. So he went to Fiorano and uh, he went to see Ferrari. Uh, Ferrari, in the end, uh, you know, uh, wasn't too compassionate about uh, Gilles' uh, complainings because he said, in the end, uh, Ferrari has won. Have won. So uh, this was not the answer that Gilles was uh, probably uh, expecting. And, uh, and then Gilles uh, went to Zolder. And uh, my father was supposed to go there, but uh, in the end, uh, he didn't. And uh, then happened what uh, has happened. I mean, uh, um, we know from uh, um, the mechanics that uh, were there that uh, Gilles was suspicious ag- against uh, uh, everyone. He was not uh, really talking uh, with uh, with no with the team anymore, with the mechanics even. And it was quite. Uh, uh, tough, you know, for uh, the mechanics to live uh, in the in the box with uh, with Pironi and Gilles next to each other. So it was uh, it was a diffi- difficult weekend from the beginning. There was a tense atmosphere at Ferrari at the start of the Belgian Grand Prix weekend. In qualifying, tragedy struck. The greatest unhappiness imaginable occurred before race day. In the closing stages of the last practice session for today's Belgian Grand Prix, motor racing and the world lost a much-loved and truly courageous sportsman when Gilles Villeneuve, fighting to improve his starting grid position, hit the March car of Jochen Maas. In a 150 miles an hour accident, Villeneuve's Ferrari was completely shattered and the driver hurled against the catch fencing. Tragically, heart massage and specialist treatment in Louvain failed to save his life. At high speed, Gilles came up behind the car of German driver Jochen Mass, who was driving slowly. Mass moved to the right of the track to let Villeneuve pass. At the same moment, Villeneuve also moved to the right to try and overtake. The front of Gilles' car hit the rear of Jochen's, and Jochen Mass told me about that moment. You look in the mirror and you see the car coming in the back and then you move over to the right to give the fast inside lane, which is normal, it's the usual race lane. But then he was already on the right and he just gently tapped my wheels and he flew past me. 
rear wheel, front wheel. And I thought, it happened next to me all the time. I mean, I was sort of ghosting under, underneath, uh, looking at him being flung out of the car with the back plate of his, his, his chassis, you know, from his seat. And then he flew across the road into the catch fencing. So I stopped and ran across and I could see his big eyes. It was terrible. It was so utterly terrible that I thought, you know, what can you do? What can you do? I didn't feel guilty necessarily, but I said, why take risks like that? He did. You know, and that's what basically everybody said too. Because the situation with Pironi was such that he couldn't face Pironi being quicker than he was. And on he was quicker then in that moment. And um so I still raced the next day. You know, I still raced and my engine blew in exactly the same spot where the accident happened. And um it was most ironic. And there I sat during the race and I watched, you know, all this the marks and you know, I knew it was very, very strange. I knew him well. I knew his his kids, I knew his wife. And, um, you know, we were often together in Monaco. And, um, you know, I liked him a lot. I felt terrible. I really did. But, you know, you it's a race accident. You have to see it like that. Jochen was blameless in the crash. He was deeply affected by it, as was René Arnoux, who saw it happen from the cockpit of his car. For me, it was a, a terrible Grand Prix. I was... Uh, 25 meters uh, uh, behind the, the, the uh, mass angel and I see everything and I said oh he's finished in a very bad condition when mass decide to go on the right part of the track Gilles decide first to, to, to make this bend on the right side he, he touched the wheel uh, in the back uh, with the left wheel in the front of Gilles. The cars go directly on the sky and he's, he go uh, outside of the car with the seat and the seat belt. And he go suddenly on the, on the road uh, with the helmet. I stop my car in the grass and I go to see Gilles and I said, and, and understand suddenly that is dead completely. Uh, what you, is impossible to speak about that. He was my best friend and I lose this day at this minute the best friend in my life in Formula One. Uh, is nothing more, sorry only to cry. Did you think about not racing the next day? No, no. For me, you know, uh, when you have uh, la- the passion, like uh, people in Formula One has, uh, it was this accident and the, when Gilly was dead, it was terrible for me. But in my head, I don't said. Never, never, uh, never one second, never one sense uh, to stop to drive a Formula One because it's dangerous. 
no, it's an, I want to continue to drive in the same condition that before, but uh, you know, after you don't have the l- Italian lunch or a French lunch with, with your best friends. And this is a very, very, very strong, difficult to accept it. But it, it's, it's a life. Gilles was taken to hospital where he died later that evening. His parents and his brother, thousands of miles away in Canada, were told the news by telephone. As the Formula One paddock and the world reacted with shock, those closest to him mourned the loss of their son, husband and father. Then aged nine, Jonathan Jacobazzi had lost his friend and his hero. Gilles, for me, was the very first loss that I understood. So the very first time I cried for someone that uh, I understood that I was not going to see anymore. So, and again, he was my, my idol. And uh, since then, until uh, uh, nowadays, he's, he's still my only idol. Formula One fans around the world shared Jonathan's sadness, particularly in Canada. 4,000 people lived in Gilles' hometown of Berthierville. On the day of his funeral, 20,000 came to pay their respects. His coffin was draped in a checkered flag and driven through the streets in a motorcade. Jody Schechter walked into the church alongside Gilles' wife, Joanne. The motorways were full and every bridge was just full of people. It's sort of Senna-esque. I mean, Sao Paulo kept ground to a halt in 1994 when, when Senna was killed. It's, it seems like that is what happened in Quebec. Oh, I think very much so. You know, you had the prime minister came to the, the, the church. Everything stopped. And I think some of the interviews with the father and other people around and got the emotion of the whole country more so. But, you know, he was loved. Jill was loved in, in Canada. And all around the world, 40 years on, Gilles Villeneuve remains a racing icon. That's especially true for Ferrari fans, the Tifosi. Jonathan Jacobazzi says Gilles still holds a special place in the team. The legacy of Gilles, uh, I tell you that uh, and nowadays uh, everywhere, if you go and, uh, and ask a, a Formula One fan uh, about Gilles Villeneuve, everyone, even the young generation, they know who he was. And, uh, you know, for instance, they probably don't uh, remember about world champions. But they do remember from uh, about Gilles that only won six races and, uh, and that's it. But uh, when he died, he was at the peak of his popularity. And um, apart that, uh, I'm really sorry because I believe that we lost the best Gilles ever. Do you still feel his presence around Maranello? Yes, he's everywhere. If you step into a bar in Maranello, uh, there is a picture of uh, him and Ferrari. Uh, maybe there is not a picture of John Sortis that won the championship. There is not a picture of uh, Mike uh, Hawthorne that won a championship, or not even Alberto Scari that won uh, a first championship with Ferrari, and it is the sole uh, Italian world champion, uh, you know, to have won a Ferrari with the Ferrari. So Gilles Villeneuve is there, and he is always in the top three because the, it is next to the nowadays Ferrari drivers. So today we have Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz and Gilles Villeneuve. Tomorrow there will be X driver, X driver and Gilles Villeneuve. The season after Gilles' death, his great friend René Arnoux joined Ferrari and he felt Villeneuve's presence around Maranello. A lot of people ask me some 
a question about about Gilles. Uh, Gilles is always present at this time, 40 years after. And you know, at this time, he was completely, uh, he was not dead. And uh, for me, the best thing was in 83 is to stay in a Ferrari uh, with Gilles to drive all together. But but it was impossible because uh, Zolder, he finished his life in in Zolder. But if you imagine it, it, to to stay all together in the same team in Ferrari, it was was amazing for me. But uh, the life was decided to have another people uh, uh, all together in Ferrari. But uh, the life is the life. Do you still think of Gilles today? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. It's for me. It's always in one part of my head. Uh, this is sure because uh, each moment I spend with Gilles was really interesting, exciting, and uh, and this moment is always in one part of my head. Each day, five or ten minutes, I am with Gilles. This is sure. Gilles was clearly a very special man and a wonderful driver who made a big impression on those around him. It's crazy to think it's been 40 years since he passed away. My thanks to Jody, Mario, Rene, Jochen and Jonathan for their thoughts and memories. And please remember to send in your thoughts and stories on Gilles. I'd love to know if any of you saw him race or better still, got to meet him. Which brings me on to what you sent in about Alex Rossi after last week's show. Let's start with this from Sam. Great episode. I watched Alex win the Indy 500 from turn four in 2016. He ended the victory lap parked right in front of us. And I also made some decent money that day in a friendly wager betting on him. Well, it sounds like you had a good day as well, Sam. Lucky you. I would love to have been there that day to watch him win Indy at the first attempt. And what about this from Joshua Barrero? Hearing Alexander speak about the pain within the team after Jules Bianchi passed away, it really gives us an insight that racing drivers can really care for others, even at the cost of their own chance in the car. I couldn't agree more with you, Joshua. Alex spoke very powerfully about that moment in his career, didn't he? There's no doubt he's a ferocious racer, but he's also a lovely human being. And we'll do one more. How about this from Sharon? I'm glad Alex got on Beyond the Grid. Well, so are we, Sharon. He had a lot of potential, and it's a shame that he only had five races in a backmarker car. I hope he returns with the Andretti team if that ever happens. Wouldn't it be great, Sharon, if he got back into Formula One with Andretti? I, for one, would certainly love to see that happen. Well, we'll leave it there for this week. Thank you, as ever, for listening. And thank you to everyone who wrote in as well. I love hearing from you. We'll be back next week with another great guest from the world of Formula One. Until then, keep it flat out. F1 Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 and Audio Boom Studios. Listener.